God, what an honor it is to come before you in worship this morning with arms wide open, pouring out our lives before you, knowing that even though we come with places of brokenness and loss, with hurt and even sin in our lives, you do not reject us, but you welcome us with open arms yourself. You invite us to come to you in openness and honesty, to trust in your love for us. And because of your unfailing love and your mercy and grace, we can be set free from those things that would seek to pull us down. So you can set us on a new path again with you as we follow Jesus as his disciples and hope to experience his fullness in our lives so that out of our lives can overflow your love and your mercy to a lost and a hurting world. God, would you speak to us again this morning through your word and help us to see how we can continue to not only trust you, but to follow you in obedience and in faith, knowing that you have welcomed us into your open and loving arms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Kurt. I am one of the pastors here as well, and I'd like to add my welcome to Faith Covenant Church this morning. We have these Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we'd love to get to know you better. You could fill this out and turn it in as a way of helping us to find out a little bit more about you. If you'd be willing to turn it in to me or to Pastor Dick or Greg or somebody you recognize from the platform after the service is over, we have a small gift that we'd love to give you as our way of saying thanks for coming out to church this morning, but most importantly, we'd love to just meet you personally. And also, also for everyone, on the back side, there's an opportunity for prayer requests. Every week, the staff prays for all the requests we receive, and we would love to partner with you in praying for a need in your life or your family or somebody that you know. Uh, so don't hesitate to use that as a way of communicating with us this week. Uh, we are uh, finishing up a short series that we're calling Amazed, which is uh, looking at a few favorite psalms, so a few of my favorite psalms, as hopefully just kind of an introduction to the psalms, with which there are many, and perhaps a little bit of a challenge that uh, we might consider uh, reading through the psalms as a part of our spiritual journey this summer, whether you're on vacation and you're needing something to do uh, while you're sitting on the beach or overlooking a beautiful lake, uh, or whether you're still here and you're doing your daily grind and you just need a little pick-me-up as you're going through your routine and it's beautiful and sunny outside and you wish you were on vacation, uh, the Psalms are a great way that we can connect with God in hopefully some new and some fresh ways. I believe that God wants to amaze us with who he is in our lives. God wants to meet us in the midst of our daily grind lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to demonstrate that no matter what we're experiencing and what we're going through, his grace, his love, and his power is available to help us overcome any circumstances in our lives. God wants to amaze us with who he is. If you were with us last week, we looked in Psalm 22 and we learned about how sometimes in our lives, on our spiritual journey, through no fault of our own, there's nothing that we've necessarily done wrong. Uh, we haven't necessarily turned our back on God. In fact, sometimes we can even be very intentionally pursuing God, but we experience this sense of God's absence in our lives. We don't hear God speaking. God's word doesn't seem to be alive to us. And many spiritual pilgrims through the centuries have called this an experience of the dark night of the soul. 
It's a time when, when we're seeking God, but, but, but God isn't around and we can't seem to find him. And, and, and the test is really whether or not we believe and trust in God's goodness and his presence in our lives, even when we don't necessarily feel him, even when we don't necessarily see the evidence in our lives. And as we go through those experiences, Psalm 22 reminds us that God is present and God loves us. Even if we don't feel it, God is with us and we can trust that he will not abandon us. Today in Psalm 22, I'm sorry, Psalm 32, jumping 10 Psalms forward, we're going to be reminded also that sometimes our experience of distance from God can be caused by our own choices and behaviors in our lives. And when we find ourselves in these situations, we can choose one of two paths. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 1, there are two paths that we can go down. The the path of the blessed life, the fulfilled life, or there's the path of walking away from God, the path of the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. We can choose to hide from God because of our behavior, or we can choose to run to God and find our hiding place in God. And each path, as we'll see as we look through Psalm 32, has its own results and consequences. Psalm 2 reminds us, I'd like to suggest for us this morning, that, that of what the Bible says in many other places, and especially in the letter of 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32 begins with this idea of how to find the blessed life. Uh, In in verse 1, the psalmist starts off, and we'll have the words on the screen that we can follow along. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, there's this question of what does the blessed life consist of? How do we find happiness in life? Or from a biblical perspective, the blessed life is really a fulfilled life. How do we lead a, a, a meaningful and a fulfilled life? And, and what he's saying here is, is the blessed life doesn't necessarily come from living the perfect life, right? He doesn't say blessed are the ones who are perfect, Blessed are the ones who never mess up. Blessed are the ones who never commit any sin. No, he says, blessed are the ones whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed are the ones who have a a, a resource to go to, someone that they can rely on to provide forgiveness and grace when we stumble and when we fall. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, the same word of, of the blessed life is, is he uses twice as a reminder that there's these two paths that we can choose to walk down. If you want to experience a blessed life, a happy life, a fulfilled life, you have to remember that it doesn't come from living a perfect life or having everything go perfectly for you in your life. It comes from having an open and an honest relationship with the God who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, and who loves you more than you could ever ask for or imagine. See, it's that relationship with that God that allows you to find the needed forgiveness and grace when times get tough, when we stumble and fall, when we make mistakes. Because it's not if we make mistakes, right? It's when we make mistakes. Even when our choices lead us to difficulty and challenges in life, the God who loves us is always there to help us if we're willing 
to be honest and open with him. See, the person who can anticipate God's forgiveness in their life is the kind of person in whose spirit is no deceit, David says in this song, which speaks of the importance of of being open and honest in our lives with God and with our trusted companions around us in our lives. See, King David goes on to share his own personal story about how this truth has played out in his own life. In verse 3, he says, When I kept silent, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And in this... Let's see, was there one more verse there? Yes, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I confessed to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, in this personal example, there's two different choices that David has to make, right? There's two different paths that he can walk down. I kept silent, and I experienced the weight of my sin and my guilt and my shame. But when I chose to open my heart and confess honestly what was going on in my life to God, I experienced the the lifting of the weight. The, 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 The burdens came off of my shoulders because God forgave my sin and he overcame that the weight of that guilt and that shame. You see, when the psalmist refuses to be honest with God because of his resistance to to, want to hide what he's done, it, it leads to this inward experience of turmoil within his own life, within his own body. He says, my bones wasted away. At the core of who he was, he was experiencing this sense of dissatisfaction and disintegration. There's this idea that there's an interior pain that our sin causes us. It causes us to groan day and night. How many of you have ever experienced that that inward groaning of knowing that this isn't the life you want to live, this isn't the way you want to be feeling, but but you're stuck in this place of of inward isolation and painful difficulty? See, this, this inward conflict was a loss of strength, as if being in the withering heat of the sun. Now, I lived in Phoenix for many years, right? I know what it feels like to live in the heat of the withering sun. And I can imagine what he's talking about here in a spiritual sense, to be baking under the heat and the intensity of life, knowing that you're disconnected from God and you're, you're stuck in this painful place because of your own choices and not knowing how to get out of that place. See, those who've experienced Extreme bouts of depression probably have some idea of what the psalmist is talking about here too. I know I've went through periods of depression in my own life. And it's amazing how when depression begins to set in, a kind of interior darkness begins to take over in your life. And it it seems to threaten to swallow up all of life. A normally energetic person can be reduced to complete inactivity and lack of motivation because of this internal turmoil of depression. It's almost like you feel drugged and unable to even lift a finger to move. And in the same way, he's saying in a spiritual sense, we we can become spiritually depressed in our relationship with God without knowing how to be able to even act on our own to to make a difference or a change in our lives. David finds no release 
or relief from this agony of his guilt and his shame because he feels God's judgment weighing upon him. He says, your hand was heavy upon me. And and we begin to see this link of, of his experience of sin to his physical experience in his body. And we understand that that we can't separate our physical lives from our spiritual lives. Too often we're tempted to, to, to separate those out and say what we do in church and what we do in our spiritual lives has no impact on our, on our bodies or on our bank accounts or on our career paths or the things that we do in our marriages and our families. We, we separate those out. But what, what the psalmist is helping us to see here is that when we find this inner turmoil working into the bones of our lives, it impacts our bodies and our relationships in our whole lives. Because of the cover-up, he is beginning to feel the weight of God's displeasure in his life. But the other thing to feature here is that it's really his own guilt and his shame causing it, right? One, one commentator said, this isn't like a divine attack on David because of his sin. God isn't attacking him. It's his own guilt and shame that's weighing him down because he knows that this isn't what God's will for his life would be. And we see the the polar opposite then happen when when the cover-up is over and he begins to to open his heart to God, when he begins to crack the door a little bit to be honest with God again, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And the response of his confession isn't God zapping him with a lightning bolt and punishing him, right? When I opened and I confessed my sin to you, you lifted the weight off of my shoulders. You forgave my sin. Now, the, the, the NIV translates it, you forgave my sin, but the literal translation is, you lifted my sin off of me. You lifted it up. You removed the weight. Life became light again. I began to feel like I could breathe again. I began to see hope again. This affirmation that God lifted up the weight of guilt of the psalmist's sin is a characteristic attribute that we see in periods throughout the Old Testament. There are many times when God bears the responsibility for the sins of his people, Israel. He assumes the responsibility for their actions, and rather than holding them accountable for them, he he takes it on himself, and he removes the sin from them. So that in Isaiah 33, 24, he can say that those who dwell in Jerusalem will be lifted up and borne by God. Of course, we could say the ultimate example of God's lifting up or bearing the guilt of sin is accomplished in the work of Jesus on the cross, right? I mean, that's what we say we believe the good news about Jesus being the sacrifice for our sin is, is that he bore that heavy weight of the consequences of our sin so that we don't have to. Hebrews 9.28 most nearly approaches this same Old Testament idiom when it declares, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him, to bring healing and to bring wholeness as a result of the freedom from sin. How about you this morning? Are you, are you waiting for the salvation of God to arrive? Are you longing for, for a new experience of life that, that would bring you out of your experience of darkness and into the glorious light of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? As the Old Testament people realized when they confessed their sin openly and faithfully, God did through the sacrificial system what they could never do for themselves. 
Confessing sin is simply opening our hearts to God in a way that ultimately allows God to begin to work his forgiveness and his healing in our lives. See, this experience with God was an experience within the believing community. It wasn't this isolated event between an individual and God alone. What we see in the psalm here is that this is the testimony that David is sharing in worship, right? He's saying, this is my story, and I share it with you because I know that it's your story too. This is our story as human beings. God knows that we struggle with these things, and he doesn't want us to feel like we need to hide from him because God already knows what we're dealing with anyway, right? Having laid out his personal experience as evidence for these two paths that we can choose to walk down, he then calls his readers to apply this truth in their lives by taking personal action to develop a relationship with God in a new way. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. See, there's a sense of realistic urgency that David has here for, for those that he's, he's sharing this story with. While God is always present with human beings, I mean, theologically, we want to say God is omnipresent. He's always everywhere. And so we could never say that we're uh, apart from God. In a, in a practical sense, in an experiential sense, we also know if you've walked with God for very long, God isn't always there at our beck and call. And he, he comes whenever we whistle or, or call, Right? I mean, that's why we call people foxhole Christians, right? We, we can go through life, and as long as things are good and we're, we're happy and we don't think we need God, we don't have to necessarily spend time in his word. We don't have to approach God or pray or, or ask God for forgiveness until all of a sudden something happens and something goes wrong, and then all of a sudden we want God right there to rescue us, right? To take this pain away because we don't like this. And then we blame God because he's not there. Foxhole Christians, you know, David's saying, we can't treat God like he's going to always be there whenever we feel like we need him. The goal is to live a lifestyle where we're continually developing this trusted relationship with God so when the waters come, not if, but when the waters of trouble come, when we make mistakes, when we mess up, when we find ourselves caught in patterns of sin and unhealthy behavior in our lives, God is a, there's a connection to God. There's a lifeline that we can go to where God can bring us back more quickly and more easily because we've established this trusting relationship with the God who loved us. But reluctance to confess our sins to God and to live openly with God can lead to a delay in God's response and our sense of healing, which then only compounds the possibility that we might begin to believe that God isn't there and God doesn't care and can lead us further down a path of more and more unhealthy behavior. A relationship and trust and reliance with God has to be built in times of peace and security and goodness so that when the difficult times come, we can rely on that relationship that we've had. Again, I think it's important to notice that the coming of trouble to righteous people is assumed in this psalm, right? 
The trouble coming to righteous people is assumed. It, it's, it's, a, it's a part of life. There's an assumption that because of our, our own brokenness and our own fallenness, we're going to make mistakes and trouble is going to follow us. And, and so we need to be cultivating that relationship with God all along the way so that when we experience those difficulties, we've already got that firm foundation of openness and trust with God to fall back on. Those who are prepared to face those difficult times are much more likely to come through them more quickly. That's why he says he discovers after developing this kind of a relationship with God, you are my hiding place. God can be a strong refuge that provides real protection and help in those times of trouble and difficulty. God will continue to guard him and guide him and protect him even when trouble comes. God surrounds those who faithfully and honestly live open-hearted and open-handed with him. And his defense comes as songs of deliverance surround them. And I love this idea. We are surrounded by songs of deliverance. And, and, and what one commentator suggests is that God's protection comes in the, in the arena of corporate worship coming to, to the community of God's people like we do here at Faith Covenant Church on Sunday morning, we are, we're sharing our own story of this same pattern being worked out in our lives. It's my story. It's your story. And when we tell our stories of deliverance, how I messed up and I made a mistake and God showed up and God delivered me and he forgave me from my sins and he set me on a new path. And I share with you my story of deliverance and we celebrate together how God has continually faithfully recovered us from our brokenness and our shame. We are surrounded by the songs of deliverance of God's people that gives us hope that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we've done, there can be a fresh start and a new day in relationship with God. It's an image of worship in community, and it's a part of the gift that God has given us of being church together, the community of God's forgiven people. Surrounded by songs of deliverance, God's promise comes to David with a promise that he will continue to instruct him and to guide him, but it also comes with a, with a warning not to resist that guidance, not to resist that instruction, because he knows our human nature is, is to want to go it alone. In verse 8, God reaches out to David and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. You see, again, God is promising to be engaged, but he also knows that our temptation is to be resistant to God's guiding. He, he's saying, I, I can't say it in, the, in our American colloquialism, but he's saying, don't be a, a mule, Right? Don't be a mule. Don't be a, a stubborn mule. God loves you. God has given his word to you. God wants to walk with you and work with you even when you make mistakes. But too often, we're like a stubborn mule that just resists God's instruction and God's guidance. If you think about a horse or a mule, uh, if they're left to their own devices, they, they don't know how to walk a, a straight path, right? They're going to wander off into a field somewhere. That's why we have to put a bit in their mouth and a bridle on their head, because in order to guide a horse or a mule which way to go, you have to turn their head, and you have to guide them in the way that you want them to go. And God's saying, don't, don't be like a mule. 
you know, a stiff-necked, stubborn mule that I have to crank on the bridle to get you to go where I want you to go. I want you to be free to run and to follow the paths that I've set out for you. But too often, if we rely on our own instinct or our desire for self-determination, like a horse or a mule, we may find ourselves wandering in a field or a wilderness somewhere and wonder, where did God go? All the while, it wasn't ever God who left us. It's we who wandered away from God. Therefore, the readers are encouraged not to deaden their awareness of God's instruction and God's guidance in their lives through his word and his spirit but to respond in obedience and to trust that God has our best interests at heart. And if we follow his guidance, he will lead us to the truly blessed life. And that's the reminder then in verse 10 of the two paths. He says in verse 10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Many are the woes of the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust him. Two paths, two consequences, Which do you prefer? (laughs) See, when people go against God's will and choose a different path, they find themselves in a life that that multiplies the woes. And and that word woe just sounds heavy, doesn't it? Whoa. You know, whoa. It's the weight of, of our own sin. It's the weight of our mistakes. It's the weight of our broken relationships over a lifetime that come from not following God's way. Many are the woes of those who reject God's guidance and instruction. But life becomes light and life becomes easier when we trust in God's instruction and we allow him to lift the weight of our brokenness and our sin. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we trust in God as our hiding place who saves us from even from ourselves. His final call is to praise God for this amazing love that he has for us. In verse 11, he concludes by saying, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. See, these are the same two groups that he identifies in verses 1 and 2 as those who find and live the blessed life. Why are these righteous? Sorry about the microphone. It's a little scratchy there. I don't know what's... I, I blame you, Scott. <laughs> it's that one. Were you making that noise? Okay, I won't blame you either then. Who are, who are the righteous and the upright in heart? Those who've lived a perfect life, right? Who've never made a mistake. No, blessed are the ones whose sins are forgiven. Those who have found an avenue for dealing with our brokenness and our humanity are the ones who God considers the righteous and the upright in heart because it's not about how good we are, it's about how good God is. And when we acknowledge that we need God's forgiveness and his love in our lives, we're more motivated to be open and honest with our needs and we come to God to allow his forgiveness to work its way in our lives. So we become the righteous and the upright in heart by allowing God's work in our lives. And the result is this experience of worship and singing. Joy and ecstatic shouting and exuberant singing are all part of the responses that we see in the Old Testament to the people of God who are amazed by God's forgiveness and his love in their lives. The God who could zap us and kill us in an instant for the sin we commit instead chooses to welcome us and call us his own children as a loving father. The picture gives us a brief window into what heaven will be like, right? One one commentator said that this is no solemn staid occasion here. 
The milling throngs, overcome with the wonder of God's love, parade about, leaping and dancing and shrieking and singing in a marvelous cacophony of uninhibited and infectious praise. Sounds like worship at Faith Covenant on Sunday morning. (laughs) Maybe next week, right? We'll keep working on them, Greg. But contrast this this picture of of lighthearted, energetic worship with the heavy weight of sin and guilt and a sense of spiritual depression that many of us live day to day, carrying around the weight of this drudgery in our lives. Which path would you choose? I'd like to close this morning by helping us to identify that I think there are two challenges that lead us to not pursue the path that God would have us in our culture. There are two, two challenges to living a life of open, honest confession in our lives. And the first one is the fierce independence and the concern for personal privacy in our Western modern world. See, this demand for, for personal independence that comes from our Western capitalistic mindset and, and this idea of privacy it closely, is closely linked to this radical desire for tolerance in our culture, which means, you know, hey, if it's good for me, I want to be able to do it, and I don't want anybody to hold me accountable or tell me I can't do it, and then the same for you. I can't tell you what to do or tell you what you're doing is wrong, and so what we've done is in this desire for this radical extreme freedom, we've ended up actually isolating ourselves into islands of life where we don't actually have trusted relationships around us anymore and we become less and less able to deal with the problems of our society because we become more and more isolated. The second element that is directly related to this ideal of personal uh, uh, privacy is the perfectionism that pervades our society. Our desire to be completely independent leads us to assume that we ought to be able to do everything that we want to do, and therefore we should be able to accomplish all the dreams that we have. And when we don't and we can't, then we feel like there must be something wrong with me, there must be something wrong with my spouse, or there must be something wrong with what I have, and so I have to throw it all out and go find something else because there's something wrong if I can't have this perfect life that somehow we believe we're supposed to have. But all too often, however, our lives become marked by failure and dissatisfaction and we lead to a lack of self-control in our lives and we find ourselves in behaviors of addiction and, and, and repetitive bad relationships. Unfortunately, our failure to live up to these shoulds and the oughts lead us into all kinds of negative experiences in our lives. 12-step groups are full of people who followed their sense of powerlessness and fear of being discovered as they really were into years of hiding their behaviors from those around them and even from God into alcoholism and drug addiction, sexual compulsion and eating disorders, gambling addictions, and many, and many others. Now, if you talk to people who are a part of the Celebrate Recovery, which is kind of a Christian version of a 12-step program, they'll tell you that, that all of us have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, Right? How many of us today have a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up? I mean, I can raise my hand to that. In some ways, you could say we, we all are in a 12-step recovery program. We, we all have fallen short of the glory of God and, and are tempted to get into repetitive behaviors and choices that aren't necessarily healthy for us and, and take us away from God's best for our lives. And yet we need to be able to understand that if we can openly and honestly admit that to ourselves and to God, 
we can begin to experience the change that comes from being able to be forgiven for those choices, and we can encourage one another to experience uh, a new uh, freedom from, from those choices in our lives. Those who've passed through that dark and painful experience of recovery and emerged on the other side will tell you that, that, that almost unanimously, the value of confession and accountability in trusted relationships is the key to being able to overcome those addictive and, and repetitive behavioral tendencies. Which is why here at Faith Covenant Church, we've said before, and I'll say it again, if you don't have a relationship with one or two people of high trust and high commitment that you can be completely honest with what you're going through in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, then you are at high risk for falling down the rabbit hole of these kinds of choices and behaviors in your life. And, and yet that's the gift of what church should be. We should be the safest community on earth where we can offer to one another the gift of genuine listening and trust because this is our story, right? This isn't just David's story. This is my story. And I, I hesitate to say too far, but I can almost guarantee it's your story too because it's our human story and God knows that we mess up. God knows that we struggle. The invitation is that God doesn't want to punish us for that. God wants us to forgive us and experience healing and wholeness. That's the very New Testament concept that we see here in Psalm 32. As we said before, in John, uh, 1 John 1, 9, he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that we will find those kind of people in our lives. Maybe here at Faith Covenant Church, we will find one or two people who can be that kind of a trusted partner who we can begin to, to come out of our isolation with, that we can begin to develop community and relationship with. And, and maybe, maybe you are someone who is this morning in need of a relationship like that. Or maybe on the other hand, maybe you're somebody who's ready and able to be that kind of a person for someone. And God's inviting you this morning to begin to open your heart and to open your eyes to see the people around you, to maybe open your life and your calendar and your schedule to become that person for somebody who's needing a trusted friend and a trusted ear. See, we have two choices, David is saying. We can either choose to hide our sins from God or we can choose to hide ourselves in God. Knowing this, are you going to be like a horse or a mule <laughs> that needs a bit and a bridle in order to force it to go down the path? Or will you choose to freely walk in the way God has invited us to walk? A, a, a life that leads to freedom and joy, the blessed life of fulfillment. Because when we do, what we will discover as you share your story and I share my story is that we will be surrounded by songs of God's deliverance in our lives. Amen? Let's pray.